And would you please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can find that on page 1142 in your church Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll begin our reading in verse 1 and read through to verse 23. Reading 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Amen. And it will help to keep your Bibles open as we go through it this morning. Brothers and sisters, I hope you'll agree with me when I say that a Christian funeral is something to behold. As with any funeral, there is sadness, there's grief, there's mourning, there's bereavement, there are goodbyes and regrets and consolations. But at a Christian funeral, at a distinctly Christian funeral, there is something that stands out, 
there is hope. A confident hope that this is not the end. That this is not a permanent goodbye. That for the believer who is buried in the ground, there is hope of something after death. Many of you, I'm sure, have lost someone. A mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a friend, a son, a daughter. I don't know all your stories, but you've lost someone or you will lose someone eventually. Such is life, and such are the effects of the fall, the sin of mankind in Adam has brought about death in this world. Many of you have probably been to funerals that have this glimmer of Christian hope. But here's a bit of a strange question for you, brothers and sisters. How can you know, how can you know that you weren't just wasting your time singing those hymns of hope, bowing in prayer, How can you know that this hope of yours isn't empty? Just an illusion, a religious fantasy, a crutch for the emotionally unstable. How do you know for sure? Well, the answer is that our entire hope and assurance depends upon the historical event of Jesus Christ's resurrection. The historical event. That third day in space and time history when Jesus of Nazareth rose again from the dead. This morning, we're going to be looking closely at one of the most fundamental tenets and beliefs of the Christian faith, the resurrection of the dead. Some people in the Corinthian church, as you might have noticed from our reading, had been saying that there is no future resurrection of the dead. Imagine that. The church was denying a general resurrection of any kind. Now, they were inconsistent because, yes, they believed that Christ had been raised. Of course, that's the gospel. Jesus was resurrected, but believers will not be resurrected in the future. They were captive to some kind of philosophy, some kind of error in the church, that made them deny that. But they didn't realize that this denial of a general resurrection would have catastrophic consequences for their very faith. That's what Paul addresses in this chapter. And he shows us that our faith and our future wholly depend upon the resurrection of Christ, who is called the firstfruits of the dead. Our faith and our future wholly depend upon the resurrection of Christ, who was the firstfruits of the dead. I'd like us to consider three things this morning. First, what we have received. Second, what is at stake. And third, what it means for our future. What we have received, what is at stake, and what it means for our future. So first, what have we 
received. Our passage begins in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So what we have received, brothers and sisters, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his salvation. And this gospel has been handed down like a valuable treasure, like a family heirloom. In verse 3, Paul says that he also received this gospel and he handed it down then to the church as something of first importance, that is of top priority. So then what is this gospel that is of such great importance and is of top priority? It's that Christ died for our sins, as he says there, that he was buried that he was raised, and that he appeared publicly. Four parts. He died, was buried, was raised, and appeared publicly. Let's look at these in turn. Christ died for our sins. When we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, we need to remember that his death was not a surprise for Jesus. It wasn't like plan A went wrong, And now he's ended up on the cross. It was a surprise for his disciples who wanted a strong military and political leader as a Messiah. But it wasn't a surprise for Jesus. Rather, when he went to the cross, everything was going according to plan. Listen to some of the things Jesus said leading up to his death during his ministry. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down, I lay down my life for the sheep. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus said this. It was his plan. Going to the cross was his mission from the very beginning, which means Jesus Christ did not die as a martyr. Right? A martyr dies for his faith, for his convictions, because he has to. No, Jesus Christ was not a martyr. He was a savior, a redeemer, who came with a mission who came in obedience to his Father. As Philippians 2 says, he obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. He willingly gave up his life. He willingly went to the cross to pay for our sins. That's what Paul says. Christ died for our sins. To pay the penalty, the debt that we owed to God. And he did that in accordance with the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And listen to one part of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. This is the Old Testament speaking about the Christ to come. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, that is the sins of us all. Christ died bearing the punishment that we deserved. The curse of the law. And he did it all in our place. And after declaring on the cross, it is finished. Mission accomplished. The work is done. Jesus then died. So Christ died. And to to prove that he truly died, Christ was buried. Christ was buried. His corpse was wrapped up in uh, in strips of linen together with a mixture of spices, which was the custom of that day. And he was placed in a tomb where only dead people go. And his tomb was sealed with a heavy, large stone, securely sealing it from intruders. And he truly partook of the humiliation and the state of human death. He decayed. He died. But, thirdly, Christ was raised. All that was dead came back to life. And brothers and sisters, this wasn't just a resuscitation, right? CPR. Come on, Jesus, you can make it. No, it was resurrection from the dead. And it wasn't just a resurrection, kind of a mystical-like hologram, ghostly figure of Jesus, or just the spirit of Jesus, it was a bodily, fleshly resurrection. People touched him. He ate. They saw him with their very eyes. It wasn't like Lazarus or the widow's son, who were raised back from the dead, yes, but only to die again in the same life. This was a resurrection unto glory and unto indestructible life, as Hebrews puts it. Jesus is now alive, though he was once dead, and now he lives forevermore, never to die again. It's indestructible life and glory that he has entered. So Christ is risen. He has been raised from the dead. And then we see in verse 15... And verse 5, excuse me, that Christ appeared publicly. We kind of miss this sometimes. The gospel is the cross and the empty grave. Yes and amen. But also, he appeared publicly. It says he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. And then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, says Paul. And what's interesting is that he adds the comment, most of whom are still alive. And then there was James, then all the apostles, and even Paul himself. So this means there were eyewitnesses that were still living at the time who had seen the risen Christ. You could go ask them. You could talk to them them about this stuff. Now, we all know about fake news. It's it's been a big thing in the last five, ten years. Fake news. If you want to spread fake news, a fabrication of something that happened, you don't go out of your way to point out that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses, 
most of whom are still alive. The New Testament is full of these kinds of references. Like, do you remember Malchus? The name of the servant whose ear Peter cut off with the sword? Or struck with the sword? Simon of Cyrene, who helped Jesus carry the cross? Why mention these obscure names? Malchus, Simon. People knew these guys. It's like saying, these things truly happened. Jesus was raised, and if you want to verify it, go see Bob. Go talk to Cletus. He was there. He saw it. Right? People know these guys. When you're propagating a lie, a fabrication, you want to contain it. You want to make it obscure. You want to generalize. Not identify names and people and talk about 500 brothers most of whom are still around. But the thing is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a lie. It's not a fabrication. They are tied to real-time history. They were real, historical, public events. The Christian gospel of salvation was not a private revelation. What do I mean by that? A private revelation. It wasn't like Muhammad in Islam. It wasn't like Joseph Smith in Mormonism, where they say God or the divine appeared to them privately and gave them a revelation and gave them extra words of God. How do you check that? How do you verify it? They're just saying they received it. Okay, take it for what it is then. No, the fact that Jesus is the Savior and the victor over death was not a private thing given to Paul or to a select group of people. It was publicly demonstrated and witnessed by many because he appeared to hundreds of witnesses. Congregation, what that means is the gospel of our our salvation is rooted in real history. It happened. All of human history pivots on this point. A.D., B.C., before what? The common era before Christ. Just think of the Apostles' Creed. If you think about what we're confessing there, it's full of history. Things that happened so that we may be saved. Things that happened under the same sky under which we live. The gospel tells us that the Son of God was born of a virgin as a real human being with real skin and bone, sweat, blood, urine, died a real death with real excruciating pain, was buried in a real tomb and was raised in a real resurrection. And he did all this so that your very real sins could be forgiven truly, really. And this gospel has been handed down from Christ to his apostles, to the early church, to missionaries, to reformers, to our forefathers, and finally 
to us. The gospel has come all the way down through the centuries, all around the world, to you, so that you may be saved in Jesus Christ. Praise God. You have received, that means, the gospel. And you stand firm in it, in this gospel. And now you are called to hold on to it firmly. As it says in verse 2, By which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Hold fast to it. There is no gladder news than the good news of Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus is the most important story in the world and has the greatest significance for your life. Let's take a look at why. Let's take a look at what is at stake here with the gospel. Our second point, what is at stake? Paul has reminded them of the gospel of Christ's death, his burial, and resurrection, and now and how he himself was a witness of the risen Christ. And there are some verses there talking about his personal, tes- personal testimony, which we don't have time to look into at this very moment. But now he tackles the Corinthians' belief, the strange belief that the dead cannot be raised. And his argument goes like this. You say that people who have died cannot possibly be raised to life. Well, if that's true, then Jesus, who truly died, cannot have been raised either. He's pointing out the contradiction in their belief. But do you know what that means for you and your faith? Do you know what's at stake here? That's what Paul is pointing out. and tells us what's at stake. He says in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's all for nothing. Verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith, no, excuse me, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. That is, we become false witnesses. We're lying about God when we say that he raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 17, he presses the point. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There's no forgiveness for your sins. In verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, believers who have died are just lost. There's no hope for them. They're lost. That's what's at stake in the resurrection of Christ. Our witness our faith, our forgiveness, and our future. All those things, our witness, our faith, our forgiveness, and our future. But why is that the case? Why is it the case that without Christ's resurrection, there is no hope and no salvation? Isn't it enough that Jesus died in our place on the cross? Just ponder that question. Is it not enough 
that Jesus died on the cross. Isn't that enough to save us? Well, in one sense, no, it's not enough. Why? Because anyone could die on a cross and say and claim, I'm dying for your sins. Your sins are forgiven. How would you know that that was true? How would you know that God had accepted this death as payment for your sins? Well, congregation, the resurrection is crucial because the resurrection was God's seal of approval of what Christ had done on the cross. Dutch theologian Herman Bavink says, the resurrection was the amen of the Father upon the it is finished of the Son. The resurrection was the amen of the Father upon the it is finished of the Son. The resurrection proved that Jesus was in fact the Son of God and that his work on the cross had been truly accepted by the Father. His wrath has been satisfied. The debt has been paid. And the resurrection proved it because Jesus faced death and he came through the other side. He defeated the last enemy. So without the resurrection, Christianity falls apart. The book of Ecclesiastes says, Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Well, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith and our lives lived in service to Christ, this church, all of it is vanity. It's meaningless. It's emptiness. And we are of all people, says Paul, most to be pitied. Pity the fool, right? We're fools if Christ was not raised from the dead. That means the one thing you cannot do with Christianity is be lukewarm. To be on the fence. That's the one thing you cannot do with this gospel because the stakes are too high. It's all or it's nothing. If Christ has not been raised, let go of your faith. Reject the Bible. Forsake the church because it's all in vain. There's nothing waiting for you after death. There's no hope, no higher meaning to life, no morality beyond us, no order for society. Just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's nothing for you. But if Christ has been raised, and indeed he has, then bank your whole life on him. Surrender everything to him. He defeated death on your behalf. Put your faith in Him. Serve Him. Entrust yourself and your future to Him. Because He is God in the flesh, the defeater of death and the Savior of the world. And God's Word assures us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Which leads us to our third and final point, what the resurrection means for our future. Reading verse 20. But in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this picture of first fruits is drawn from the Old Testament scriptures, and it describes that first portion of the crop that was offered to the Lord. So, the first fruits were the first installment, we might say, of the harvest. And it guaranteed that the rest of the harvest was still to come. So the order was this the first fruits followed by the full harvest. So if the risen Christ is the first fruits, then that means his resurrection was only one of many more to come. His resurrection was only the beginning. It's not the end. And the full harvest of resurrection will follow when he returns. That is at his second coming, which we await with such eagerness and anticipation. This means that what will happen to us is inseparably connected to what has happened to Christ. Let me repeat that. What will happen to us in the future is inseparably connected to what has already happened to Christ in his resurrection. Why? What is that connection? The next verses tell us. Look at verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam and Christ. Two historical figures. Through Adam, the first man in history, death came into the world. We see this in Romans 5. The Bible tells us that because of Adam's sin and his disobedience, the whole human race after him is condemned. But why should we, you might object, why should we die for the sin and disobedience of Adam, the one man? That was his choice. He fell. He did wrong. But that wasn't our choice. Well, the reason is that Adam was never just acting for himself. He was acting as the appointed representative head of the human race. Not only was he the biological father of all people to come, but he was also the covenant head of all of mankind. And just like the tragic reality that the children of slaves were born as slaves, so also as Adam's descendants, we are born as condemned sinners. We are brought forth in iniquity. As Psalm 51 puts it, we are by nature in Adam, joined to Adam, associated, connected with Adam. And in Adam, says Paul, all die. But this truth is accompanied by that glorious truth that Christ came as the second Adam, a new head a new representative. And through the second Adam comes resurrection 
life. And all who believe in him shall be raised, will be made alive. And brothers and sisters, this means if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, then whatever happened to him will happen to you as well. His resurrection is truly charged with meaning for you. Our passage says that there will be a future resurrection for those who belong to Christ. Our bodies will be raised in glory, just as Christ's body was raised from the dead. Death will not be the end. There will not be a permanent goodbye at your funeral. There is hope for those who have fallen asleep in Christ. And don't miss that beautiful description. Fallen asleep in Christ. That's talking about dying. It's saying when you die as a Christian, you're asleep at best. That is, your body lies in the ground as though it were sleeping. This is a description that's pregnant with promise, is it not? Because it's saying that Christians who lie in the grave are dead for now, but not for long. Because they will all awake to a new day, to an eternal morning in the presence of God, with joy everlasting at the resurrection of the dead. While Adam was the first fruits of the harvest of death, Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the harvest of resurrection. And just like the Savior to whom you belong, you too will be raised on that last day. And the passage will go on to say that Christ will destroy all worldly dominion, authority, and power. He will put his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy will be death. And Jesus will destroy death once and for all in this climactic reversal of death. And that will happen at the moment of our glorious resurrection. Now, do you remember all those things Paul said would be in vain if Christ were not raised? Remember how we pressed that point in our passage? Well, let's put it this way. Since Christ has been raised, our preaching and our witness is not in vain. Since Christ has been raised, our faith is not futile. Since Christ has been raised, those who have died in Christ are not lost, have not perished. Since Christ has been raised, we are not to be pitied, but rather envied. Because we have life everlasting in him. We have the promise and guarantee of a future glorious resurrection. Therefore, hold firmly to this gospel which you have received. The gospel of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and appearance. Believe in it. Trust in it. Treasure it. Hold on to it dearly like your life depends upon it. Hold on to it like your future depends upon it. 
Because it really does. The harvest is coming, brothers and sisters. We await it with great anticipation, for it will be a glorious harvest indeed for all those who belong to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Christ your Son. We thank you that this news has reached us and that in Christ we have the promise of resurrection from the dead. We thank you that there is this sure hope of life beyond death. And as we await that glorious day, we ask that you would help us to hold firmly to this gospel, to remember it daily, to preach it to ourselves and to our neighbors, to find the deepest comfort in it. Help us, Lord, to give our lives wholly to Christ the firstfruits. In his name we pray. Amen.